Sword of Omens, come to my hand. I, Lionel, command it. I also command that you keep listening to Adrian Has Issues. Hey everybody, welcome to Adrian Has Issues. I'm Adrian, naturally, and today I am speaking to a fantastic comic creator and artist by the name of Kelly Brack, who produces illustrated works under the umbrella Noir Comics. And prior to even knowing about the project in which we'll be discussing today, Kelly initially caught my eye with a book entitled Deer Catcher, The Scan BC Files. I don't really discuss it on the show, but I think with a lot of podcasters, at some point we do tend to reference the work of Kevin Smith a lot. And I know through various episodes, there was mention of Scan BC, which is like the Twitter page for what is like Vancouver's, like I guess, police scanner or police blotter. And the stories, if you've never heard of it, like, I mean, there are some definite crimes and, you know, terrible things that happen, but some of the crimes that are reported are almost hilariously and wholesomely Canadian. <laughs> so it, it kind of became one of those things that I would almost just read just even after listening to like those episodes of Smodcast. And I always thought to myself, it'd be really cool if someone took these and compiled it into like a story or something. And Kelly did exactly that. But what Deercatcher did and I thought was really cool was, as opposed to just kind of retelling those stories, it was like this night, it was inspired by it, but told a, a kind of a, a gripping story about how all these bizarre occurrences in Vancouver were, you know, I hope I'm not really spoiling anything, but there's a possibility that they were all orchestrated by, uh, you know, one crime boss. And it was a really great spin on an already interesting story. But today we're going to be talking a lot about this upcoming anthology that's coming to Kickstarter on October 1st entitled Death of the Horror Anthology, which is published by uh, Wave Blue World. And we're going to get into that and a bunch of other fun stuff. But again, welcome Kelly Brack to the show. Kelly, how are you? I'm terrific. How are you? I'm doing fantastic, and I'm doing even more fantastic because as of yesterday, I'm a little late to the party, but they finally started stocking Oktoberfest, so I know it's still like the dead of August, but I'm glad that they're putting on shelves a month early, so I'm super happy right now. <laughs> oh, no, I totally hear you. Like, I, as uh, we were saying, like, I was kind of talking about breweries before we started recording, but yeah, anything beer related, um, I'm there, dude. Prior to starting the show, you had sent me a story, I believe it was called uh, Old Wounds, which will be featured in Death of the Horror Anthology. And yeah, thanks, buddy, because um, I don't think I'll be sleeping tonight anytime soon. <laughs> 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 but it was a great story. Like I, It kind of gave me a nice insight as to the type of content that's going to be in the anthology. And well, I think first and foremost, before we even get into that particular entry, you know, give us some background into your inspiration into creating this anthology and uh, some of the work that's gone into it. I, I would love to to be Mr. Articulate and and say all of this wonderful type of stuff to say like what what inspired it. But I, I remember I was just I was sitting home one night and to segue back to beer, I was having some beer. And there's a good friend of mine. He's also part of the anthology. His name is John Ward. Uh, he's he's a super, super talented writer that lives in Vancouver. 
And we were messaging and I said to him, man, I really just want to do a community project. That's, that's it. Because you get so wrapped up in trying to create all these larger form stories and then you get sucked into the pitch world where um, rejection is a very familiar friend. Right. And it's so funny because a wave blue world, they're all of their anthologies. Cause I was backing them on Kickstarter. They were so well done. So it was almost like a full circle kind of thing, because I think that's what got me into anthologies in the first place. And now I'm talking to John and I'm like, man, I really just want to, I want to do this. And I didn't even know the idea or, or anything until after I reached out to almost everybody. I just started <laughs> cold messaging people, people that I had zero business even messaging. But that's the thing about <laughs> comics and uh, the people in comics is they're very welcoming. So yeah, like long story short, because uh, Mr. Rambler is rambling. But yeah, it was, it was out of the want to do something in a larger community. Uh, and um, yeah, no, that that was it. Personally speaking, something I've always liked about anthologies, and especially when it comes to indie comics or indie creators, when it comes to anthologies, and I've used this analogy before, so if you're a long-time listener, you know, you've heard me explain this, but something I used to always enjoy growing up was going to, like, music stores and picking up, like, these punk rock compilations that'd be for, like, you know, five bucks, maybe three bucks, and it would just be, like, 30, maybe sometimes even 50 tracks of all these bands I've never really heard of. And I mean, there were a few that I was maybe a little familiar with, but a lot of them were just like, I've never necessarily heard of these bands. So it's like, what better way to get introduced to a bunch of music by, you know, enjoying these compilations and just, just diving right into it. And out of those compilations, they'd often end up creating what would be some of my favorite music and favorite bands. And I kind of like that same aesthetic to anthologies because I may not necessarily know every creator that's on an anthology. I mean, sometimes I do, which is great, but it's, I think, a great way to showcase talent that maybe people may not have known of otherwise. And, you know, for a pretty small rate, you get so many great stories from, you know, so many great people. And especially since the diversity of both the creators, whether it be by identity or ethnicity or even just location, because I've read anthologies from creators that were quite literally all over the world. So I've always appreciated that. So I guess then I was asking you, so if you want to get into maybe some of the people that are featured on it. <laughs> Again, before the show, we were talking about Jeremy Simser being on your show. Uh, so Jeremy is part of it. And he's doing a story with uh, Kevin Scott, who's written like Star Wars adventures and, and stuff like that. So they're doing that. And uh, Lonnie Nadler uh, is part of it. Emily Pearson, Vita Ayala, Stephanie Cannon. There's so many names like Cody Sousa, uh, Melissa Hudson, who is a terrific, terrific creator uh, from Seattle that I think a lot of people are going to be pleasantly surprised with when they see her story because she's very um, up and coming as well. But the list is seemingly endless, but it's it's so exciting. And uh, at some point, I will kind of do like a title card that I throw online just so everybody knows who's definitively involved and who's paired up with each other to do stories. At the risk of shameless name dropping, you know, shout out to Emily and Vita. They were also on a show uh, a couple episodes back. 
And I was thinking about them and also, you know, Cody Sousa, you know, Between oh, the yeah. Wilds and Croak were two horror books that really hit hard, at least to me. And I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not necessarily the biggest horror fan. Like, I'm far from the leading authority. But I've always appreciated at mm -hmm. least horror stories that have been very left of center. The fact that they're involved, I think, is really cool. And it looks like the lineup's already pretty stacked. But after hearing those names, I'm like, yeah, this sounds like something that's really, really going to be awesome. It is. Like, we, we have uh, Denny Lore is uh, the editor of the book. I've read all the stories that have uh, come through. And then it gets passed on to Danny. Danny does her edits. And I look that over as well. And the stories are uh, not trying to be biased. The stories are terrific. I You could tell, like, the thing that really resonates is you could tell that the creators that are writing it and drawing it are, are really just having fun. Like, I know for every anthology, you, you do have to have a theme or something that uh, is inter not interconnecting, but like the basis of what your anthology is. Right. So the, the thing that is kind of quote unquote connecting all of our stories is the theme of inner demons. So the, the uh, really, really uh, great thing about that theme, in my opinion, is it's so subjective and it's so uh like you you could put spins on it and everything it, it doesn't really weigh you down to a a concrete idea or direction you could really take that anywhere but as long as there's some kind of struggle or like inner struggle or or um to reference what i just said like inner demons then yeah like that's that's what our book is about and the stories are just unreal so I, I can't wait for people to read it. It's, it's terrifying and it's gory and it could very well possibly be the best horror anthology that comes out of a recent time, in my opinion. I always think about when I used to play, let's say, horror games, and some of them, you know, can be very much jump scare heavy where it's just, you know, walking in the hallway and, oh, monster pops out. You know, that's scary. You know, you're going to be startled. But to me, true horror is that horror where you feel that damn near in your soul. You know what I mean? Like, it captures a mm -hmm. mood. It gives you a setting. But it also is relatable. Yeah. The story that I referenced earlier, Old Wounds, definitely did a great job of doing that. And I actually wanted to ask you about that in particular. I know you had sent that earlier as kind of like a nice little uh, taste as to what is featured in the anthology. But what was the significance of that story in particular? Uh, the As to why, you know, you sent it. Because, again, it, you know, you can send any story. But what is it about that one that drew you to then bring it to my attention? Because, you know, it definitely worked. <laughs> uh, well, not, not to be uh, <laughs> um, arrogant to myself. Like, that, that's my story. Cause I know I don't have like a lot of work out there currently, like a lot of stuff that I'm personally doing is behind the scenes and in the pipeline. I, I thought um, I would send that story just so that you had an idea of, or a better idea, like uh, the scam BC stuff aside, because I feel like I've grown a lot since that project. So uh, old wounds to me is what the kind of writer kind of storyteller I want to be at this point in my life. And the whole idea behind that story was 
to tell something that could be um, like you touch. I, I don't want to spoil anything, but you touch a little bit of the monster under the bed trope kind of in the beginning, but then it takes a turn immediately. And it's not so much about horror or gore or anything like that. It's more of a metaphorical story that is supposed to follow a man with regret and a past of wrongdoings. And how is he going to answer for that? And it's told in a very uh, metaphorical sense where it could be very much classified as horror. Because I agree with you. I think relatability is the thing that is going to be panic stricken for, for a lot of people. Like that's what's going to hit that nerve. So when I wrote that, I, I wrote that and took a week. I came back to it to see if I was still happy. And I was really trying to find that nerve in me. And to me, it hit that nerve. And I knew that was the story. And the uh, Chris Sheehan is the artist of the story. And um, <laughs> like as, as you've seen, uh, his art for that story is out of this world yeah holy shit like this art is intense yeah i'm so glad you said jet because i've been trying not to swear so clearly we're allowed to swear <laughs> oh i would have told you oh i was gonna say you've heard other parts of the show like i mean trust me i don't censor <laughs> when it comes to <laughs> okay like part of me was because yeah it's really fucking good <laughs> there you go. okay you said fuck too so like this is great man <laughs> 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 oh, I would have. I'm sorry. I would have told you a long time ago. Yeah, you're no, totally no, okay to swear. Yeah. Like, I, you Any, know, <laughs> anybody that's listening now just went on like a journey of uh, uh, discovery with us, and and now <laughs> I look like the super Canadian that's just like, oh my god, like we're totally like allowed to swear. Yeah. So, oh my, for real, like, oh my god, we're allowed to swear. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> That would suck if you had to censor. Oh my so. god, I love that! Like, I love when we just came to that. No, it's like I'm sorry. I probably should have said that in the beginning. No, no, I'm but so the glad fact that did. we kind of came to this point where like this epiphany, I think that made it that much more powerful. Oh, oh no, I know. And like, not only are people listening and they're like all weirded out and shit. See, I said shit. That's amazing, right? So. Not only are they listening and they're like weirded out, but like they're discovering perhaps a lot about themselves too. We were talking about the anthology, weren't we? So we got off topic. <laughs> by we, I mean I. So the uh, the anthology, right? Do not cut this out because I want to. I want to hear how fucked up this is. Um, <laughs> this conversation is every bit of a process. I almost feel like even just the creative process of you know building on layers upon layers and it's just slowly starting to blossom into this really badass thing not that it wasn't before but it's like you kind of hit that sweet spot where it's like all right we're hit our stride now we're in it we're in it for real <laughs> oh oh no i know we needed to get to like uh second and third base together and i think you and i achieved that <laughs> for real like verbally right so uh, just <laughs> that just is amazing wait until i slide home and it's it's gonna get really fucking weird <laughs> all right let's go for it all right challenge accepted let's do this all right well i don't know what that's gonna be yet but we'll we'll discover it um yeah fuck man where were we we were uh oh we we're talking about old wounds and i'm trying my best not to spoil it because i'd be doing it a disservice but there were these very subtle moments because like you said it starts off in 
I don't want to say traditional, but it's a story that you've kind of seen mm-hmm. at least in some ways before. I started building all these preconceived notions as to how it was going to play out. And I was fine with it because it's like, you know, I still want to see where this goes because clearly, other than you sending it to me because it was something that you wrote to get an idea as to your background, I also figured, you know what? He didn't necessarily have to send it. So, you know, nothing happens by accident. So as I'm reading, I'm reading. And just as the crux of the story happens, I'm like, okay, I didn't freaking see that coming. Like, I was like, all right, now we're going to another direction. And even once that twist happens, then it turned on its head again. So by the end of it, I was just like, Jesus, fuck. like, wow. Talking about going on journeys, in that short, you know, you start in one place, you, you think you know where the path is, and then you don't. But then once you kind of get right back at the end, you're looking back and I'm like, you know what? It was a very short story, but it told me everything I needed to know. And of course, that constant thing of, well, shit, now I need to know more about this and I need more of this book. And that's what comics does to me. It's like you read one good story and you kind of get turned out and you start kind of like grabbing people out of collars like, I need more of this. Uh, first of all, I, I super appreciate everything you just said. Like that was the idea was to um, do something familiar at the beginning and then try to take it through that coin flip and just see like I knew the direction of what I wanted to do. And I had talked to Chris and, and Chris, I won't say what he said, but he had one very clear thing that he wanted to do. So I incorporated that. I'll, I'll probably tell you after where we were talking and I, I knew right away that it, it had to be something that, that wasn't, um, wasn't your typical horror, but I really wanted to start it like it's your typical horror story. And I wanted every page after a certain point to be, oh my God, now this is happening. And there is a little not again, oh my God, like it really sucks when you can't spoil something because it's about to come out. (laughs) Exactly. But I kind of get what you're saying. And, like, the overall ending of the book reminds me of, and again, I don't want to reference the other thing, even though it's something I'm a big fan of, but I feel like it'd be kind of a, a low-key spoiler in and of itself. But how that story wrapped up reminded me of some other, you know, horror books that I've read recently or other thrillers that I feel like, in a way, not quite in the same exact way, but... I feel like kind of came to this same conclusion as far as the quote unquote monster isn't who or what we think it is. Mm-hmm. I'll take zombie movies. I'll take that. You know, George Romero was great at that where, you know, we're led to believe that, of course, the, the true monster is the zombie because I mean, God, it's, it's, you know, the living dead feasting upon the living and turning them into other, you know, vile, shambling creatures. And you're like, oh my God, that's terrifying. Not realizing what's truly scary is people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the the living, breathing, non-zombified people and the things that they do not only to themselves, but to each other when met with a crisis, they turn into monsters themselves. And it, like I know this is a really weird way to go around it because, I'm again, I'm trying so hard not to spoil that story, but I appreciate that. I almost looked and did a little, you know, got a little introspective. I'm like, damn, it's like I might be fucking up. <laughs> no, no, like uh, to, to be perfectly honest, like that, that was the that was the whole concept, like everything you just said was. And I guess maybe perhaps in ways 
that uh, unintentionally inspired me. Like they, uh, not specifically that movie, but there's always something very interesting about how your actions or your, or the circumstances around you and your basic way of living could uh, affect you or change you or something. And again, I, I don't really want to spoil my own story, but I guess I, I could kind of say this, like we all share like the same space. We're all uh, creatures of the earth. And that was the basis of my story was, okay, well, nature is very much a character. And I was trying to uh, break it down and figure out, well, okay, well, what's scary about nature? And everything, if you think about yeah. it. <laughs> no, like for real, yes. But when, when I say nature, I mean more so um, not that wide of a concept but more so uh, your comfortability in a certain enclosed space. So maybe nature was the wrong thing to say because my story actually does take place um, in the setting of nature. But like, let's say you take everything that I had written in that story and then you place it into like an apartment in New York somewhere. Now you, you could take that story and have that be your setting, but it's going to play out the exact same way for the exact same reason because it's supposed to be uh somebody who is oh my god i don't want to spoil it are you trying to make me spoil no it's it's all me <laughs> i wish i wish i were that clever to be like aha this is my plan i'm gonna trap it's you like no. i i wish i were that clever <laughs> it's it's <laughs> but, but like I, I i don't know if uh if that makes any sense where it's just uh nature just happened to be the uh the setting but right it, it could play like uh in a city or or underground subway or in a coal mine it's it's really what the person has around them that they're comfortable with that they think that they're safe right and almost blissfully ignorant to the fact that their past, it died there, that the things that they did don't have any sort of repercussions. But then I almost want to say life finds a way, but it's hard to say that without like Loki referencing Jurassic Park. <laughs> but like, you know, it's like life has a funny way of bringing you back to certain moments. And, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be the lowest of the low, the, the scum of the earth. It could just even be even basic everyday people and for those who intentionally i feel like go out of their way to make life hard for other people you know that those things catch up and even if you don't think anyone notices someone does notice and it does kind of come back so and also did kind of play a little bit I think, okay okay after this i'm gonna not say anything else but it also played on one of my other favorite stories as kind of like almost like a revenge story yeah i'm trying to uh i'm trying to counter it just slightly with something I don't know exactly what I want to say. Like, if somebody were to read it and they were to to say that, like, I I wouldn't disagree. Like, yeah, it's it's kind of like revengey. But at the same time, I feel like you don't agree, and that's interesting because I do want to hear your take on it. I okay. Hmm. Can I say like what am I able to say? I would for well, uh, to me when I was writing it, I wanted to find loopholes that it could be taken out of a certain amount of context. So if somebody were to read it, like that's, that's why it's kind of so perfect right now that you're seeing it 
one way and I'm seeing it the other way. But I didn't want there to be a clear, definable, this is it. But I did want it to be something where if somebody is reading it, like they could just be like, oh, well, um, this didn't happen because of this. Or, well, this is the case. And he's discounting this when he's writing it because of this. And like, I wanted there to be events where somebody is always kind of questioning. And I don't want to say what is kind of uh, fully questioned within the story, because there's, there's something that um, is pretty relative to the world that we live in, that a lot of people are binding to, that I really just have... Um, the antagonist of the story ruin somebody's um, way of thinking immediately. So it's like you're mentally breaking down somebody. And then it's like, okay, well, what happens when you mentally break that person down? What's the reaction? Then what happens when you physically break somebody down? So it's, it's a constant, you're going through all these trials and you're um, the thing with the character is, uh, he's going through um, like self-doubt and regret and he's questioning his faith and he's questioning uh, simple choices and wrongdoings that he's made in his life. So it's, it's more a horror story about self-reflection. And to me, I know like if, if I had to think about how I was X amount of years ago in weird way it's not like terrifying but it's kind of scary to think that i could have possibly grown from there to here right I, w- I would say that's kind of the the basis of the story is just being in a place in your life where you are taking accountability being scared about that accountability but almost owning that accountability which is even more scary sort of i i hope i'm selling this i really don't know i can't tell you got me, at least. I mean, I try not to speak for my listeners at all, but to me, I think that having, well, of course, having read it, that makes the most sense. And, you know, like any story, people will draw their own conclusions, but at least from your perspective, it makes absolute sense because that's kind of the story it is. And going back to, you know, not to harp on it, but those are the stories that I'm drawn to because you can come to those conclusions. Mm-hmm. Because any story that you could walk away from that, and it all, it doesn't always have to happen right away. Because there's a lot of stories I've thought of that I'm like, okay, that was cool, and sat down. Then, of course, like at 2 in the morning when I'm supposed to be sleeping, getting up ready for work, all of a sudden I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> you know? <laughs> that very, like, Homer Simpson lying in bed, all of a sudden your eyes just dart open, like, wait a minute, hold on. Yeah. Shit, like that, that. Damn, like that that got me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I hear you. I hear you. You had me at Homer Simpson, so <laughs> it's like coming to those those late like those late conclusions. Like I always think of I mean to me I always feel like uh McBain in that one episode where um when uh, Jay Shermer from the critic was doing the uh the crossover and uh Wolf Castle was coming at him. Basically, he was he's kind of like about to rough him up because of he was like bashing his new movie. So he's like, "Oh, your shoes are untied." And of course, you know he bends over and he's looking down. It's like by the time it transitions into night, and he's still there, and he's like, "It would appear that these are loafers." Like it took him that long to come to that conclusion. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and sometimes it may 
it may take that long, but when you do, it's like, hey, you know what? It was worth it because that means you took something out of it. So, so like, long story short, you're you're calling my story loafers. (laughs) (laughs) See now, talking no, I (laughs) yes, I would take it as an insult. I just I've that would be the greatest critique ever if somebody is just like. Oh, that story was fucking loafers. So Oh, so here you go. No. That's two coins. That's two phrases now we have to coin. Well, going to the fruit stores together and now it's like loafers as like a as a descriptor. It's like, man, that story was loafers, dude. Like that was cr- <laughs> Oh man. Oh, okay. Well, like I can't say it cuz I I live in a weird part of Vancouver. So if I were to go around saying, "Man, this this shit is loafers." I'm going to get the shit kicked out of me. So I don't know. What, like, where whereabouts are you in New York? Um, I'm in Long Island. Oh, okay. So, like, you're in a relatively like good good place, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. So I know nothing. I've been to New York once, but my uh, my experience was very quick. I didn't get to uh, to really explore the city. But I'm I'm one of those guys where it's like I think I know about New York based on movies I've seen. And Spider-Man 2, the video game where you could just, like, swing around the city yes. free well. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, man, I could totally get Soho if if I were in New York because I would just follow, like, this map in my head where, like, Spider-Man is swinging. But... <laughs> Which is always weird that in most games, you know, he ended up in Manhattan, but it's like, he's from Queens. Like, <laughs> what? <laughs> well, well, like, isn't, like, Queens is, like, the the suburbs though right like he has to be somewhere with with uh buildings and shit yeah and then i remember in a spider-man 2 game like he'd end up having to like fight giant robots in bed and i'm like just geographically speaking i don't think this happens <laughs> yeah oh no totally. i mean don't get me wrong like i fucking love that game like i just remember very fondly spending hours listening to you know, angsty early two thousands rocking like emo punk, just swinging around the city doing absolutely nothing, and it'd be like, oh, someone's attacking the city. All right, too bad. Someone else ought to deal with that, and just keep going because I had like a really good rhythm going. Yeah, no, man. Like I would do the same thing. Would you ever go to like the top of the Empire State Building and just swan dive, and you know? kill yourself (laughs) (laughs) if you don't do that in every open world spider-man game then you're doing it wrong i'm just gonna come out and say like matter of fact i know that new game that's coming out for playstation 4 that's the first thing i'm thinking of is how soon do i get to do that and i hope to god they didn't like lock half the map because if it is completely open that's the first thing i'm doing is going to the empire state building and just diving off for real like for real I cannot wait to do that. And it sounds so weird because like I'm I'm 30. So I'm I'm a 30-year-old man saying that I cannot wait to uh do the suicide off of the Empire State Building in a make-believe game that uh I don't know. It's weirdly therapeutic though. Like when you when you jump off of the Empire State Building as Spider-Man and you're uh you're television screen starts to go like all uh what's the effect because like you're going so fast right so the wind is like coming yeah it's almost like a yeah it's like a motion blur sort of thing oh yeah my life and everything that i've decided up until that point 
totally flashes before my eyes. I'm like, this is, this is a drug right here. And nobody knows it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's the same as drug. Cause it's like, you can't do that in real life, but you know what? Oh yeah. Oh man. Is that what now crap? You're not even making me reevaluate. Like, was that what I was doing in that game? Was that like a, a, a weird type of you know therapy or like some catharsis for me it was was it really about being a superhero or damn well well i mean like breakthroughs man not not to turn (laughs) this into a therapy session but how did it make you feel when you jumped off the building well funny enough to be if i'm gonna be completely honest it depended because sometimes when i jump I wouldn't get far before I'd immediately swing away. And it really, the gauge of how I was doing on a daily basis depended on how quickly I'd hit one of the, hit one of the, uh, the webs and swing away. Or if I even swung away at all or just, you know, pancaked on the ground. Interesting. Okay. So, oh my God. Sorry to like really over evaluate you. Here. No, but like, holy crap. Like, you know, we went places. No, for real. Is this home base? <laughs> <laughs> this might be. You said we'd get there at some point. And funny enough, in any of the later games, as much as I still would do the dive off, yeah. there was always something missing. Because I feel like the, some of the later ones, like Spider-Man 3 and like Web of Shadows and all those other Spider-Man games, were fun to a certain degree. But I think what made Spider-Man 2, at least to me personally, was the fact that for all intents and purposes, they really didn't bother making a game. It was less an adventure game as it was Spider-Man Simulator. Right. Oh, oh yeah, totally. And I loved that, where the city was practically empty. Occasionally, you'd run into somebody and be like, oh, hey, Spider-Man, um, there's a robbery going on, or this child lost their balloon, or, you know, oh, hey, you know, Spider-Man, help me out. And it turns out they were lying, and they were actually used as bait to, like, lure a bunch of people to come jump you. Yeah, in in horrible <laughs> graphics, by the way. Oh, the worst. The absolute worst. Yeah. But yet, you could do none of that and just swing around and still get, like, this amazing experience. You know, yeah. And it's so funny because I think, like, one of my favorite parts of that particular game was doing the pizza delivery. Because I Yes. Was, because, like, yeah, you, you want to get that fucking pizza to that make-believe... Uh, cgi character on time like you really want to do it but sometimes you're just like well what's gonna happen if i don't do it and i forget what happens i think like the pizza just disappears right yeah i don't think anything happened i think you lose but i don't remember what the penalty was for that oh there's there's (laughs) man in in my world that's that's a pretty big penalty I, I think what you would have to do after that is go to the top of the Empire State Building and swan dive off, <laughs> to, to be perfectly fucking honest. I don't know if it's that where everywhere, but, you know, pizza deliveries, like, it's kind of a big deal. So if that pizza's not on time or doesn't show up, that's, I'm not saying that's grounds for any sort of violent reprisal, but you think about it for a slight second. Yeah. Not thinking about the fact that that guy may have, like, or person may have, you know, lost a tire, or maybe they got lost, or... Well, well, like, let me, let me counter it with this point. What if, what if, like, if we didn't have those pizza regulations, or expectations, if you will, like, let's say I got kidnapped right now, and somebody threw me in the back of a van, and they're just like, yeah, we're gonna kill you, 
but we're n- nice sort of besides the killing you part we're gonna grant <laughs> you the ability to eat whatever you want and i'm just like well man like i love pizza do you mind if we just order a pizza and then all of a sudden like the pizza's fucking late and they're just like man like we're, <laughs> we're running out of time like we gotta kill you and the whole thing is like well i was waiting for pizza and you gave me this chance to have this pizza and now the pizza's fucking late and you're still gonna fucking kill me so like does that make any sense no, like my question is though, like, do they give you okay, you're kidnappers. Do they allow like will they kill you after the pizza arrives, or is it like we're gonna do this within like an hour or a half hour, forty minutes? And if he's basically whether he's here or not, you know, they but at the same time they have to know that delivery isn't always reliable. And for anyone who's listening who does any sort of delivery, no disrespect whatsoever. That is not an easy job, especially if you're a kidnapper. Apparently, yeah, like you, <laughs> no, no disrespect, kidnappers that don't want to don't want to wait for people, right? Dudes. But they have to factor that into the overall, you know, scheme of things because you know they, unless they're hoping that they're lakes that way, you know, it's like, look, we're nice to you, but we're nice to a point, and if we let you have this pizza, that's just delaying what we're gonna do because if you think about it, okay, you're getting a large pie. And it doesn't even have to be toppings. Right. And you're you're saying to yourself, they're not going to kill you until you finish that pizza. You will find every reason to eat that thing as slow as possible. Yeah, but, like, let's let's just say this. In a group of kidnappers, right, there's always the loose cannon. And it's typically, like, either the guy in the, uh, the, the uh, passenger seat or the driver's seat. So let's, let's just say, like, Ronaldo is up front. He's got that clock on go and he's just like fuck man like i got shit i have to do and we're late for another hit and we're in a van and i would love to get out of this van because i'm in a van with a bunch of dudes right now and we got to kill this guy and we're waiting for this pizza and i don't know when this pizza is going to get here and then we had to wait for him to finish eating the pizza he's just like fuck this shit like i want to kill you because i was sent here to kill you but we're trying to be all nice to this guy, giving him his meal. Like, Ronaldo, is, he's going to kill you before you finish eating the pizza. Like, have you ever seen Panic Room? True as that may be, but he should factor it in. See, now there's already, like, another scheduled hit. Now, this is just bad planning on their end. Because, see, you should block off enough decent time in between, God, this is so dark, but, like... You know, dispatching of this, you know, poor individual, you know, any possible cleanup, unless it's like one of those Pulp Fiction things where they can, like, send them to somebody, you know, unless there's a Harvey Keitel somewhere that does it for oh, them. Oh, God, yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, it's, oh, my God. But, yeah, that is damn. <laughs> I, I'm i trying to retrace the steps in my head. I don't know how we got to uh, pizza murder. We, oh, dude, that. We're talking about Spider-Man. Pizza murder would somebody if if somebody's listening that would be a great comic book by the way maybe you know what no don't do it i'm gonna do it copyright nor comics there you go pizza murder yeah (laughs) and i already have the opening (laughs) (laughs) there you go ronaldo's already it's it's already in the works (laughs) it's it's fucked up it's yeah i i don't know what to tell you I, I guess uh, these ideas, it's turning into an epidemic, right? So, <laughs> But as a creator, you have no idea where they come from. Like, they can, 
I mean, I'm pretty sure. You ever, I think about sometimes like the biggest stories ever made, whether it be in books and films or TV. And, you know, they always ask the question, where did this come from? And, you know, they give these very great answers. You know, no one's ever really thought of it's like, oh, James Cameron, you know, the Terminator series, uh, you know, one and two were, you know, some of the, you know, greatest sci fi action movies ever. You know, how'd you think about that? I don't know. I was just on the toilet one day and it was just like, hmm, killer robots from the future. There you go. You know, you're not going to say that on like, you know, Access Hollywood or whatever, but. You know, Wait, sometimes is, is that a true story? Is I don't think happened? so. Oh man! But again, it would be cool if it just turned out, as opposed to having like this grand idea. It just came on a whim. It was just like, I don't know. One day I missed the bus and was just like, I don't know. What if? <laughs> <laughs> For real? Like I, right. I know I, uh, I came up with a story uh, that uh, a, a super talented artist named Ahmed Rafat is uh, collaborating with me on right now but i i was somewhere in vancouver and i saw um uh, a kid bashing their head against the wall oh (laughs) jesus no i know that's so that's so incredibly dark to even reference where it's like oh i'm inspired by that i'm gonna go home and i'm gonna write but like it gave me an idea for something totally unrelated where kids are not harmed whatsoever so I, i did not condone it and oh, and in self-defense, uh, the mom stepped in and put an end to the bashing of the head immediately. So it was just a couple of hits, and they weren't that hard. But but yeah, that inspired a story. <laughs> I sound like such a dick right now. <laughs> <laughs> no way. Like I mean, I was the one that granted was coming up with uh, scenarios as to how they could possibly. You know, the delaying a pizza would actually be beneficial, but <laughs> oh, I guess no, it's a totally. long way to say you never know where your ideas come from. No, no. And it's and it's good to explore and you just let yourself get there naturally. So it's yeah, it's it's cool. <laughs> Getting back real quick to uh, Death of the Horror Anthology, the lineup of the creators that you mentioned in. You know, even on the stuff that you showed me, like, I'm really excited for this. Yeah, it's, oh, man, it's incredible. Like, you you know who Brian Level is, right? I think we may have met each other at a con, but uh, I'm actually a really big fan of his work. He, oh, I, <laughs> I don't even know what to say about Brian. Like, Brian's one of my favorite people on the planet, and uh, we'll kind of send each other messages here and there, but... I read his story <laughs> before I sent it to to Danny for editing, or I think ultimately Brian sent it to Danny. But like, regardless, that's a small detail. But I remember reading <laughs> Brian's story, and I was just shaking my head, like just nonstop, because I couldn't believe what he was writing. And I, I mean this, <laughs> I mean this in the best possible way. And I. I just said to him, I messaged him immediately and I said, you are fucking deranged. (laughs) (laughs) You motherfucker. Like, I don't know how to take this, but it was, it was legit. One of the weirdest, again, in a good way, one of the weirdest, most horrifying stories (laughs) I have ever read. And it was it was oddly funny too, like because when I think about it, like I want to laugh because I'm like that was so outrageous. It's one of the the 
most uh, horrifyingly whimsical stories ever. So I don't know why I said that, but it's out there now. Brian's story is fucked up. But that's kind of those things with horror. And I mean, I can't speak for everybody, but I know for me, sometimes the laughter that comes out of my body is not laughter in a, oh, I actually find this hilarious. It's just more of a, you almost don't know how to react. And the only thing that comes out is laughter. Yeah. I had that happen during, I guess it's not quite horror, but uh, when I saw Bone Tomahawk for the first time. I, I don't think I've ever seen that. It's one of those movies that was recommended to me, and they told me very little about it. I just watched it. Um, it's crap, and I've already kind of set it up maybe too much. But, yeah, there's certain scenes that, you know, you kind of go, oh, this is not what I thought it was going to be. And at one point, I walked out of the room. <laughs> and it definitely wasn't necessarily the most screwed up thing I've ever seen. But it was sort of like, oh, they actually went there. All right, hold on. This isn't. You know, it took a minute to process, but then I almost started laughing only because it was like, man, I really just sat here and just just witnessed this. And it's half of it was almost embarrassment, but some of it was just more of a man. They really they really went there. All right. I mean, geez. And sort of like what what's it called again? Bone Tomahawk. Man, why have I I don't even think I've heard of that. Is that like a, a super uh popular pop culture type of movie like um i'm not like I, of course film snobs are like you suck adrian but i mean it wasn't necessarily like this big theatrical hit um it's definitely a little bit smaller scale i mean it's got kurt russell and matthew fox the cast is decent but it's definitely not a movie that could be mass marketed mm. okay interesting i'll leave it at that yeah that's yeah it's funny like there's there's a lot of movies that i i haven't heard of or seen before. like more more notably like i've i've never seen star wars like any of them any of them now i know people personally who have never seen them so i can't just be like how is that possible you know i'm not, I'm not gonna like anger is definitely not the first it's more of a I wonder. I honestly sometimes wonder what that's like because you know, growing up, it was like Star Wars was just in my face mm -hmm. as soon as I can be aware of what movies are. But really, like I've, hmm, all right. I mean, well, it's possible. Oh well, well, clearly I'm the I'm the fucking proof. But the the thing, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry to like totally subject you to that right there. It seemed like I was just being a dick to you, like. Dude, like, what the fuck? I just said I didn't see Star Wars. It's totally possible. Um, I know it's possible, but I'm like, how? I'm like, at no point, like, you weren't even at, like, I don't know. It's weird. Like, I'll go places and someone will have it, like, on a TV someplace. I don't know. But, I mean, that's, it happens, I guess. Damn. Well, again, like, yeah, it fucking happens. I've never, <laughs> I've never fucking seen it. When I was in elementary school, right? Yeah, Star Wars was this thing that people would talk about. So I knew the whole fucking story without even seeing the movie. So people would be like, Oh dude. And, uh, Darth Vader is Luke's fucking father. And I'm like, Whoa, for real. And they'd be like, yeah. And Luke like wants to be this Jedi or whatever. And he talks to this fucking green dude. Fucked up, man. And I'm just like, oh, okay. And, but there was something about like knowing the story without seeing the movie that just totally deterred me from it. Like I didn't, I never s tried to seek it out. I didn't care 
um to this day i would say like i get why everyone loves it and i like i don't have like any personal resentment to the films like i i think it's like hey that's your thing cool i i respect that i support you as if star wars fans need like fucking support but yeah it's just like it's it's cool but i I think it was like ruined for me because i knew it at a young age and then now since i'm an adult i've never been 100 percent a major fan of sci-fi so it's like nothing has drawn me to it and all my like uh stephanie cannon and emily pearson oh god i hate them so much both of them but they're they're saying like they want to do a star wars night sometime and it's going to be this weird awkward moment it's going to be like the equivalent of when you're in high school and you're trying to I don't want to I don't want to be that guy where you're just like you're trying to get with somebody and it gets all awkward and you mess up. It feels like that. Like I feel like if I have a Star Wars night with somebody and they're trying to force it upon me, then I'm going to I'm going to mess it up somehow because it's like I don't know how to do a Star Wars night. And I don't want to ruin our friendship, but I'm probably going to ruin our friendship by being awkward and not being able to do this correctly. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, I guess that constitutes what do you mean doing it correctly? Like, I mean, are you talking about like, guess what, heckling like during the whole thing and doing like a what, like almost riffing on it, or just not being properly engaged? Yeah, probably the latter. I I would never like watch a movie and then like rip on it. But I already know, like, everything I know of Star Wars, and I've seen clips, like, I know what the movie looks like, I know who's in the movie, it's like, I like Harrison Ford, I like (laughs) Mark Hamill, it's not drawing me in, and everybody's like, oh man, Darth Vader's badass, and he could do, I'm like, I've seen clips, shouldn't those clips draw me in? I've seen the movie trailers, shouldn't that draw me in? (laughs) Nothing is drawing me in, isn't it possible that maybe I'm just part of like the five percent of the world that just doesn't (laughs) fucking want to do it (laughs) i don't know so like i totally again like to revert back what i was saying before totally respect the fact that everyone else loves it i and i don't hate it and i don't dislike it i i'm just so indifferent i i'm not gonna seek it out and if somebody forces it like i said awkwardly it's gonna it's gonna be a weird feeling. Though part of me does and maybe this speaks to how odd I am, part of me almost would be like that should be either like uh maybe not a live stream, because then to everybody have that reaction and seeing that in real time, maybe not, but maybe a pre recorded reaction juxtaposed to the actual footage and just seeing whatever the reaction may be, even if it's complete indifference, if anything kind of gets a rise out of you in any sort of way, shape or form. You would also have to understand, it's like, I would be going into that movie or those movies being like, I know he's going to get with his sister. So what else is going to surprise me? Like, I'm like, oh, man, the little green guy did a backflip. That's fucked up. Like, I'm not going to, like, react to that. (laughs) I'm just going to be like. Oh, maybe the smaller moments. Yeah. Like, I mean, the major events that happen in the movies. Yeah. You've already dealt with those. You've experienced them in some way. But there's some smaller moments that I don't know if maybe aren't as heavily referenced that I don't know. It's it'd be interesting. But at the same time, you're right. Like, I wouldn't force you to watch them just to see what that would be like. But, you know, mm. to each their own. But, you know, I, I guess it's just odd as someone who's 
from when I was a kid, you know, sat down and my dad basically being like, yeah, you need to see these movies. And not in an angry, but just more of a, I guess, <laughs> passing on that, that nerd torch. He's like, you got to watch these movies or I swear to God. <laughs> I'm For calling real. Ronaldo and he's going to come. And you're not going to be able to eat pizza. Man, like you totally, oh, dude, like props for one. I forgot about Ronaldo and you fucking brought him back up. That's crazy, man. <laughs> there you go. There's a, there's another story for you. The guy who's never seen Star Wars and has avoided it his entire life. And basically it's like, can he get through his entire existence without having seen the entire movie? And, like, I just imagine almost like this Twilight Zone type scenario where you're, like, running through the streets and there's always, like, those, you know, electronic stores where there's just, like, a wall of TVs and a window and they're all showing Star Wars and you're trying to, like, shield your eyes. You know, you turn around and there's cosplayers in the streets and it's just, you're trying to basically (laughs) (laughs) just go your entire day and you're trying to, like, just avoiding it at all costs. But, yeah, every time you turn around, there's another lightsaber. There's another reference. Like, someone's inadvertently like you know you go to somebody's house and you know like oh hold on you know you're going to hang out and i'll be right back and next you know it's like oh you know the saturday afternoon movie star wars and just you diving through the window of their living room oh god well that's dramatic <laughs> but but you said, you said um uh lights lightsaber what what's that like the laser sword that they use like the lightsaber what what do you mean no i'm, I'm like 100 percent fucking I know what that is. I'm- I was going to say, like, hold on. It's not that bad. Like, really? I'm like, okay. <laughs> you almost no. had me for a second. <laughs> no, it's it's because I say everything in, like, one tone. So people don't know if I'm joking or not. One Tone Kelly would be my mob name, pretty much. So, yeah, it's it's all good. See, we quit a few phrases. We psychoanalyze each other things of Spider-Man 2. You're right. We did go places, man. Well, well, you have to. I mean, like, like this, this is me. Okay, because I've heard your podcast before. I like your podcast. I think you're a good conversation. Yeah, we we could talk comics and stuff, but we could talk other stuff. You know what I mean? No, definitely. I I did not. (laughs) I did not say that smartly. And I know smartly isn't the word to use. I would love to pretend I'm a writer right now. (laughs) But... That's not the case sometimes, and I'm fine with it. I'm going to say fuck up words that are totally going to negate this whole quote-unquote writing thing that I'm putting out there as a facade. But no, it's like it's it's fun to just like geek out and say the what-ifs. I have never tried to psychoanalyze jumping off the Empire State Building as Spider-Man before. It's been in the back of my head, but I've never actually had a conversation about that. And now I have. Is it going to help anybody? No. <laughs> but you think that, but what if we post this episode, someone listens to it, and you get inundated with tweets of just people being like, I used to do the same thing. Like, I still do it now. Like, it turns out, like, you build a support group of people who used to just jump off the Empire State Building as Spider-Man and just how that impacted them. You know, you never know who you inspire. <laughs> Like impacting, like both literally and figuratively. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh. <laughs> it was it was game over when that happened. Man. Like you, you don't understand. It's it's a big deal, but it's doing little things like that. Like to me, I remember 
there was a point in my life, I don't know, maybe a few years ago, I actually sat down and I was just like, man, I remember you used to uh, jump off the Empire State Building as Spider-Man and Spider-Man 2 on a GameCube. And nobody talks about fucking GameCubes, but I did. So I'm talking about Spider-Man 2 on a GameCube. And I'm just <laughs> like, what does that mean? Because people have dreams, right? Like you go to sleep and you're like, oh, man, I had a dream that I was drowning. And people are going to analyze it. They're like, you're unhappy with your life and you're doing all this. It's like, okay, well, now I got a counterpoint for you. I used to fucking jump off the Empire State Building as Spider-Man in a fucking Spider-Man 2 game on GameCube on all the fucking consoles in the world. I was doing it on GameCube. Then it's like, oh, yeah, we all used to do that. It's like, no, no, no. If you're going to analyze the fucking drowning dream thing. I want you to analyze this shit because this is <laughs> fucked up. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm doing that uh, consciously. No. The whole dream stuff. I probably watched Waterworld too many fucking times and Kevin Costner is fucking haunting me. That shit I could believe. <laughs> Spider-Man 2, Empire State Building, Ronaldo in a pizza van. That shit for real. And you need to confront that. So. <laughs> Maybe this is home base. That was home base because we got kind of passionate there. At least I did. I, I felt the anger. No, that was amazing. You know what? Honestly, at that point, I'm shutting it down because I can't even add anything to that. That wouldn't just completely derail that. That was oh, brilliant, well, good sir. Amazing. Because <laughs> what better way to self-promote myself and promote any upcoming projects than to sound like a complete fucking idiot about Spider-Man 2 and the Empire State Building uh, for GameCube. So, wonderful. That game went places. Like, it really did move. So, it's not like this niche thing, but it was one of those you had to have been there moments. Oh, totally. That game is amazing. I still think Uh, that's the best Spider-Man game ever created. I mean, I'm very excited for this new one, but again, it's going to have to do a lot to somehow make me think any less of the one for like you know PS2 and GameCube <laughs> and and GameCube. Thanks for throwing that sympathy, <laughs> sympathy GameCube. <laughs> no, I actually didn't mind GameCube. I mean, I played it mainly for you know the Zelda games because well, there was both Wind Waker and Twilight Princess. Mm. Like those are pretty much my uh, that, and I think Soul Calibur Two, which playing Link on was insanely overpowered, so I wasn't allowed to play him when I you know, fought against people. So that didn't really work out very well for me. Jeez. Okay. Well now, uh, okay. Now I have to apologize again. GameCube. I'm so sorry. (laughs) I mean, it wasn't like a huge deal, but it was like, you know, being a Nintendo fan, you owned one, even if you weren't necessarily like actively standing for it. Hmm. Okay. The only reason I played on it, my girlfriend at the time, like years ago had one. And I forget what for. I think it was for, like, the Mario games, which were, like, pretty awesome anyways. But, like, Mario Party and Mario Kart and whatever. So I saw, like, that tiny, tiny little Spider-Man 2 disc sitting in a a Walmart somewhere or a Future Shop or Best Buy or whatever. I'm not sure what you guys have. Well, you guys have Walmart in the States. You guys have Best Buy, too, right? Yep. See? I'm learning. Like we're we're doing this together. <laughs> so I remember seeing that and I like bought it, knew it was for GameCube. That was my GameCube game. So anytime uh, we're on that console or <laughs> dude, what a horrible date night. 
no wonder that relationship ended. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> I'm self You wanna go trip out the Empire State Building of Spider Man? Right, like wait, right, wait, don't leave. <laughs> right now I wanna jump off the Empire State Building of Spider Man. So I I just learned a lot about myself. I'm like, man, why did that relationship ever fail? It's like, well, yeah, because you kept fucking jumping off the Empire State Building as my <laughs> instead of taking me out to like a, a nice restaurant. <laughs> Man, this sucks. That's horrible. What a horrible. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, damn, that's like it's a little too late. <laughs> it's so late, but I'll accept it. It's, it's fine. I'll deal. I got tough skin. Well, Kelly, I would. I must say. I am so glad that uh, we got put together because I've had an absolute blast chatting with you. Oh man, like for sure. And, and again, not not to like repeat myself. Like I I've listened to you before. Now I have to go back and listen to me episode. I I didn't know he was on there. Uh, but dude, like if you ever want to like chat again about nothing, <laughs> you let me know. We'll do it to it, man. Talking about repeating and repetition, always a great way to sell something. But I do want everybody to leave knowing again about Death of the Horror Anthology, when it's coming out, where they can support it, anything else you maybe want to plug before we close out. As everyone knows, yeah, like October 1st, Kickstarter, Away Blue World being the publisher. We're going to have some cool news and announcements leading up to it but we kind of have to safeguard it right now just because we want like content leading up to it right so we're we're holding back a little bit right now but there's going to be cool announcements leading up to the actual launch and during the campaign so uh if people stay tuned uh hopefully follow me uh definitely follow a wave blue world on twitter and other social media accounts and we're really taking it serious and all the creators involved as i said stories are amazing i hands down am gonna say this will be one of the best horror anthologies that people could invest in not just invest in the book itself i'm priding myself by saying that this book is a long time coming uh for multiple reasons but more so that we all decided to do this out of the same passion and love for the medium of comics and like this this 100 is a passion project so if you stay tuned a lot of cool stuff is going to come up and thanks to you and also thank you to everybody involved in the anthology and thank you to creators for doing what you do and also thank you for listening but that'll do it for this episode of aging has issues and we will see you next issue Thank you for listening to Adrian Has Issues. Please visit us on the web at adrianhasissues.com where you can stream and download all of our other great episodes. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash adrianhasissues. Follow us on Twitter at adrianhasissues 
and on Instagram at Adrian Has Issues Pod. You can also find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, and the Laughable Podcast app. Thanks again.